Well, let's go ahead and dive into the Word. We're going to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and start at verse number 14. Now, Paul is writing this, I believe, to Timothy from Macedonia. Timothy is at Ephesus. And I think it's happening in the middle portion, maybe the later summer, early fall of 63. And Paul is making the rounds after his release from Roman detention, uh, after he's had his imperial review. And he's left Timothy at Ephesus to kind of take care of the congregation there, and I think maybe even by extension, the other congregations of the region of Roman Asia, uh, what we know of as the seven churches of Asia. And he's encouraging Timothy, make sure it's got solid leadership. And not just spiritual leadership, you know, the, the overseers, the bishops, the elders, the shepherds. Uh, we also need uh, each congregation to have good, solid gopher leadership, that is, deacon leadership, those that chase after the logistical matters of the congregation, make sure everything is, is working well and everyone is, is uh, taken care of. We did both of those the last couple of sessions. Now we're in to this next session uh, where Paul wants to tackle some other issues. Now, first, uh, there's an itinerary note. Uh, Verse 14, I hope to come to you soon. So as he's writing this, he's thinking he'll be back to Ephesus. But that's not a guarantee, and I actually think he changes that itinerary plan between the writing of this letter and the writing of Titus, which happens not very long after this one. Uh, It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, that is, in the Christian community, in the church of the living God here on earth. And uh, that's represented in individual congregations all over the place. Uh, So we have a special way that we should be behaving because of what the church is. He says, which is the church of the living God, so it belongs to the God of the universe, the creator, and so we ought to give it our best, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So everything about Christianity upholds God's truth. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so that's why we need to have good, solid, stable leaders, both in the spiritual side of the equation and in the logistical side of the equation, uh, of the equation. Uh, and all the individual believers inside the church need to be striving for that excellent relationship with Christ. Verse 16, that's why Paul goes to this next thing. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, the mystery is all about the top-secret information about the gospel that was encoded in the Old Testament, 
which is now revealed. It's declassified, if you will, in the New Testament. So we Christians have the whole story between the Old and the New Covenant writings. And it's all about Jesus. Uh, Great is this mystery of godliness. And then we have what some people have suggested is an early song, an early hymn or chorus uh, for the church. He, meaning Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. So, this is one of the things we know about Jesus. He is God incarnate. God made man. Vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, You remember that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. He overshadowed Mary, and that is how Mary becomes the repository for the Holy One of God. And then, later in the story, Jesus is immersed by John the Immerser, and we have the Holy Spirit of God coming down in bodily form like a dove, landing on him, and then the Father's voice coming out of the sky This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So, Jesus is vindicated or justified, demonstrated as holy and righteous and sinless by the Holy Spirit's work. Seen by angels. Uh, We could say seen to by angels even. Uh, Watched over by angels. Because we know there are times that the angels uh, kind of show up in the gospel story. Proclaimed among the nations. Uh, Now, one of the things that we know about the Apostle Paul is he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus tapped him specifically to make sure that the non-Jewish people of the world got to hear the gospel for themselves so that they could be saved by He who is salvation, that is, by Jesus. So Jesus is getting proclaimed among the Gentiles, and then he's believed on in the world. Uh, We have the need, all of us, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a confession of faith that we need to make but it starts in our hearts as, a, as an understanding, as something that we put our faith in. So believed on in the world and then taken up in glory. Uh, a, rever- a reference back to the fact that he who ascended, or he who descended to this earth ascended back to the right hand of the glory of God the Father. And so he was taken away uh, on that uh, day many, many years ago, uh, 10 days before the first Pentecost of the church. uh, And when the apostles are kind of just staring up after uh, where he disappeared amongst the clouds, and a couple of angels show up and say, what are you doing staring up into the heavens? Don't you understand that this same Jesus 
will be back in the same way you saw him go. So when we talk about the ascension, when we talk about the being taken up into glory, to sit at the right hand of the Father in high, to be our intercessor, we also understand he will be back, and we should be focused on that. So a very good um, bit of reminder what the key components of uh, the Christian faith are here at the tail end of verse number th- or chapter number three in First Timothy. Chapter number four, Paul now goes back to something that he really doesn't want to have to harp on, but he has to, and that is false teaching. And one of the really big false teachings of the first century that Paul constantly had to address was the Judaizing issue. And you'll remember this all started back uh, in Acts chapter number 15, when Paul had come back from his um, first missionary journey uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, And great things had been happening at Antioch uh, Church up there in Syria. Uh, But we have 14 years into the church, a bunch of Pharisaic-minded Jewish believers that started insisting, hey, all these Gentiles have to become Jewish in order to be saved by Jesus. And that does not track with the gospel. And so Paul uh, fought with it at Antioch. Uh, he went to Jerusalem and he, uh, he fought against it there. Uh, there was a letter that was issued by the apostles and the elders of the church that fought against it. Uh, it's recorded right there in Acts chapter 15. Uh, but even after Paul went on his second missionary journey and was delivering that inspired letter against Judaizing, guess what he ran into? Judaizing. And so the very first letter that Paul is inspired to write on that second missionary journey is the book of Galatians, which is against Judaizing, the forcing of Gentiles to become Jewish in order to be saved, to keep the law in a Pharisaic way. And so here we are uh, in 63, uh, so that's 30 years into the church, and he's still having to address that Judaizing issue. And we can tell that in the way that he words this section. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit expressly says, so the We're talking about inspiration here, the Holy Spirit uh, working through the Apostle Paul, says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So you can tell right now, he does not have a very high opinion of those engaged in false teaching. He believes they've been compromised by the demonic world, by the fallen angels, the troublemakers since the time that Satan manipulated Eve and, by extension, Adam. That same non-flesh-and-blood crew uh, that uh, we wrestle against. 
Um, so they are deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now that's quite the word picture and quite the condemnation. Uh, these guys can't be trusted because they are not on the up and up. They lie when it suits their purposes, so they believe the end justifies the means, uh, and they don't feel ashamed about it. They don't feel bothered by it because they have seared their conscience. Uh, when you have a burn, I mean a really bad burn, it leaves a scar of deadened flesh where the nerve endings have been completely done away with. And so you don't feel anything in that scar anymore. That's where these guys are. They are teaching this stuff so long with such uh, a disregard for God's way of doing things that they don't feel it anymore. They are seared in their conscience. They don't feel guilty about teaching it, and that's, that's a really bad sign when somebody gets to that point. We need to pray that God will restore some of the sensitivity to them at that point. Uh, reminds me of an Old Testament passage, kind of a similar uh, situation, uh, where God's prophet says, they have forgotten how to blush. Uh, so they have lost their shame and what they really need is to remember how to blush, remember how to be um, embarrassed by false teaching. They, re they need to feel uh, the guilt of teaching things that are out of step with Scripture itself. Now, what are those things? Now he gets to that in verse number three, which is why I say this has got an awful lot to do with the, the Judaizing issue again. Verse three, who forbid marriage... Now, there were some extremists amongst the Jewish population uh, that believed that marriage was wrong. Now, some of you are going to be really irritated by the reasons they believed it was wrong. Uh, it seems as if probably the people who were at Qumram community, the Dead Sea community uh, that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were found at, they believed that marriage was wrong because it connected men with women who were nothing but trouble. Because you know, Eve was a woman. She brought sin into the world by her um, believing Satan. And so there were some of these Jewish communities that said, Men need to stay away from women because women got us all in trouble to begin with, and they only get us in trouble hereafter. And so that's, that's the crew right here. That's the sort of mindset. Uh, so they forbid marriage, which Paul has been recommending against it. We agree with that. But you know, he's not forbidding it. In fact, he said, you should get married if you don't feel strongly about being single. Um... In, in later uh, New Testament books that we'll get to, it'll talk about how the marriage bed is undefiled. It's pure. Uh, marriage should be honored by everyone. Uh, so those that forbid getting married are out of step with God. 
uh, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, you remember one of the big things of the Judaizers was you have to keep a kosher diet. Uh, You Gentiles need to quit eating pork. You need to quit eating oysters and lobster. You need to quit eating meat that has not been kosher killed or kosher prepared. You need to follow our little rules about you don't uh, have dairy and meat at the same meal. You don't have them in the same room. You don't use the same utensils for each or the cooking pots. Uh, So Paul is picking up on that. He says, some of these guys are requiring that you abstain from certain foods, which in reality, God has said you can eat as long as you're thankful for them and believe with confidence that it's okay to eat them. Uh, Because there is that issue that we've talked about when we were in Corinthians and Romans that some people, especially amongst the Jewish people, would never be able to eat non-kosher because they'd just been too long uh, in that sort of mindset. And that's fine. The problem always was if they insisted that everyone had to live by this rule. Uh, In Peter's story, you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 10, uh, Peter uh, had uh, been shown in a dream or in a vision a sheet full of non-kosher foods. And Jesus said to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response was, No, Lord, nothing unclean, nothing unkosher has ever come into my mouth. And Jesus' response was, What I have cleansed no longer call unclean or unkosher. And that happens three times, which because number three is really significant to Peter. And uh, Peter understood from that uh, later in the context of Cornelius' house that Jesus wanted Gentile people not to be treated as unclean anymore, that they needed to be thought of as kosher candidates for salvation. Uh, But when the Gospel of Mark is written down, and I've shared with you before the early tradition, and I I believe it with all my heart, that Mark was writing down the preaching of of, uh, Peter. Uh, They were the recollections of Peter's gospel story. And so in one particular passage where uh, Jesus had been uh, dealing with the issue of eating food with unclean hands, uh, he said, You know, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart, uh, what comes out of your attitude. That's what makes a person unclean. And Mark writes down, and I believe he represents the teaching of Peter there, by this Jesus declared all foods clean, all foods kosher. And so that is very clear teaching that Paul references here, that all foods as long as they're received with confidence and with thanksgiving, are perfectly on the menu. Everything. Uh, And so uh, Paul is critiquing those that are trying to contradict that teaching. Uh, So let me read it again, verse 3. Who forbid marriage 
and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, marriage was created by God. Genesis chapter number 1 and 2. Man, woman, made for each other. And no one that's been joined together by God should be separated by mankind. Uh, It is sacrosanct. It is special. And so it was created by God for good, and it shouldn't be talked down. And food, as long as it is appropriately prepared, as in no arterial blood left in it, and it's received with thanksgiving, it's good. Verse 5, for it is made holy, that is, devoted or dedicated to a purpose. It is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Uh, There's a little bit in this passage here uh, for the tradition that many of us have, and I've had it ever since I was a little bitty kid, that we always stop bow our heads, and offer a blessing, offer a thanksgiving prayer to God for our food. Um, And if you do that, then you should eat it and feel happy for it. Uh, And uh, definitely, if somebody else has prepared it for you, uh, you should be thankful and receive it as a gift from God. So, Paul says, enough with the Judaizers trying to tell you that you can't have certain foods. Enough with the, uh, the desert communities uh, telling you that you can't be married, that that's a sin. Neither one of those is a sin. Don't let people tell you otherwise. Uh, verse number six. If you put these things before the brothers, because remember, uh, Timothy is a preacher. Uh, I think uh, the word evangelist gets used about him specifically. He's somebody that speaks the Word of God, uh, teaches the Word of God, explains the Word of God. So if you, Timothy, put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So, good job if you stay on track with this. Now, when we get to the second letter of Timothy, we'll have the more famous passage about uh, Timothy having from childhood uh, the teaching of the Scripture, and how this Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the the person of God can be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, This is kind of a precursor passage to that. The idea, Timothy, if you stay on top of this stuff, you'll be doing a good job for Jesus Christ in helping people understand the Word. And that really is what we preachers need to be about. You know, when I come to this microphone, I try to always come having studied these words in front of me to make sure that I can pass them on to you intact and in a way that's intended to be understood by the Holy Spirit who inspired these words. 
and to try to make some good application. And so I hope you pray for me and for your preacher and all those uh, who are out there doing this sort of stuff, that we will do a good job representing Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, we've got very little time left, so we'll only just barely get started on this next little part. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Uh, There were plenty of goofy things. I think that's the best way I can put it. There were plenty of goofy things that were out there uh, at this time that Timothy could get sidetracked in. Uh, The word myths here uh, can have the idea of fictions, uh, not true stories. And so we've got to constantly, as as preachers and teachers, uh, make sure that we don't get sidetracked with all the garbage stuff. Uh, I am constantly telling people, make sure that you double-check information that comes into your your frame of reference before you pass it on, Uh, because some of that garbage that's out there right now is exactly that. It is garbage, and, you know, we don't want to pass on false information. So do the due diligence, do the double-checking, And don't use things in your preaching and teaching unless you yourself have checked them out uh, to make sure that they fit into what you're trying to express from the word of the living God.